What's going on, everyone? It's Mitch from RespectMargin.com, back with another episode of the North American Weed Tour podcast, looking at the best in legal cannabis across the map. Today, joined by special guest, a fellow cannabis media entrepreneur, man. I got Noel Abbott, co-founder, CEO of Gondrepreneur. How are you doing today, Noel? Doing great, Mitch. Thanks. It's great to be here. Likewise, man. Likewise. I, I, I always appreciate our conversations off air, so I'm excited to chat out there where the people can... Uh, you know, get a little inside of the stuff that we'd be nerding out about. Um, but before we get into nerding out too much, man, every guest I have come on here, I always kick it off with uh, a little bit of insight to their their origin story with the plant, the plant being cannabis. So I'm kind of curious when when you and cannabis, uh, you know, begin your relationship with one another. Awesome. Yeah. Well, um, my first experiences were were with cannabis were in uh, my first year of college, you know, uh, not to be a complete cliche, but um, it was like within a few weeks of showing up on campus, you know, I had been pretty averse to uh, substance use when I was in high school, just from, you know, narratives that I had been exposed to. Um, once I met people who were just like, no, this is going to be, you know, pretty manageable, normal and uh, fun. I was just like, okay, yeah, I'll give it a shot. And then um, it didn't take me long to become a uh, connoisseur, I would say. Um, and then, um, you know, this was probably 2004, 2005. Um, so, yeah, I've been had, had a steady relationship with the plant ever since. And, and, and what did you, you major in in college? I was a creative writing major. Um, okay. Yeah, I went to college outside of LA. Um, I'm from the Pacific Northwest. Um, so after four years of living in LA, I was like, screw this. I'm going back to the PNW. Um, <laughs> moved back to Bellingham. And uh, that's where I've been since. And what what year did you start Gondrepreneur? So we officially uh, launched the company in 2014, um, but prior to that, it was a blog that my brother and I had just kind of started as a hobby um, in, in about 2000, like early 2013, I would say. Um, and this was after Washington and Colorado had voted to legalize for adult use. Um, it was before there were any licensed businesses or anything like that. We just thought this would be a fun project to uh, build a blog. Basically, at that point, was all we really had aspirations to uh, to produce. But as we kept covering the industry, um, we just kind of kept expanding the website. In 2014, we got connected with um, our other co-founder, who also sort of gave us some funding to get us started. It was on a month to month basis of like, you know, these freelancers need to be paid for these articles. I didn't actually work for the company until, um, I think it was 2018 was when I quit my full-time job to focus on Gondrepreneur, actually took a salary from Gondrepreneur. Yeah, I, I know it well, man, working another job while, while building up a website. I uh, I, I know that, that, that grind all too intimately. Um, at, at that point, like you said, and that, that was going to be one of my questions of like only having those aspirations uh, of, of starting a blog kind of initially. Obviously, at that point, like you mentioned, you know, I, I, we're, we're from the same, same state. When Washington and Cal were the only two states in the conversation, the uh, 
the business aspirations, especially from being a media, from the media side, you know, the, the ceiling was very low, right? You couldn't be like, oh, I want to be this massive site just covering this niche right. topic in this singular state or two. Did you like think or hope, hey, this is going to grow into a career or was it kind of like this is just something that I'm doing for fun and, and you know, I'll figure stuff out later? Well, when it started, it was definitely just a hobby project. Um but you know after pursuing it for you know maybe about a year that's when the idea started to formalize you know in our conversations that like you know this could really turn into a business that would be something that could sustain us going forward um and then you know it was always very gradual and linear the growth that we've seen so it really was just kind of slow momentum build until we got to the point where we could start to pay ourselves, start to hire people eventually. Um, and that's kind of been the story of our journey is just very slow and steady. And, you know, obviously with, with having a website, you know, you and I probably both understand the same concept, right? In the cannabis space, your social media, you know, I, I view social media profiles as like places you lease, a website is an asset you own. Obviously, there is censorship. Like you can't have a website, you know, delisted from Google if you cross certain certain boundaries. But you have to go pretty far into some pretty, you know, crazy uh, topics for that to happen. But as far as like cannabis or whatever, you know, hobbies are, you know, a, a website is relatively safe. But social media platforms, you know, it's always a risk for you guys starting 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 out early on and then seeing the game evolve. How has like social media kind of helped and kind of hindered the growth of the website? Yeah, that's a great topic to get into because it's a it's a very conflicted relationship that we have with social media. Um, when it comes to growing our audience, it's been a very valuable tool. But as you said, it, it it's no guarantee that it will be there permanently. Um, platforms can shut you down whenever they want. They usually don't provide any reason or justification beyond just like violation of policies that's left very broad. Um, and um, so there's always that threat and it, that threat remains that, you know, even after having built a, a large following, we could still have it taken away. It's happened to other platforms, you know, with similar size following. So it's always something we're conscious of. On the other hand, social media provides a very affordable way to reach a large number of people. And so, you know, on that front, it's been... I would say indispensable to how we've built our overall audience and our platform and the ways that we engage with people on a daily basis. Yes, we do send out an email newsletter. People click the links in our newsletter to go to our website. There's no social media involved, but a lot of people see our content through social media. They use our content to share via their own platforms. Um, and that's been a big driver of the um, just accumulation of, of readers over the years. Um, it's also interesting, um, I know I've talked with you a little bit about this, but in the early days of advertising on Facebook and Instagram, this would, I would say, be before Trump's election and the huge uh, focus on Facebook advertising um, that came after that, um, we were able to run campaigns on Facebook and Instagram um, without getting triggered, you know, triggered by the the filters or anything, and and the engagement that we saw through the posts that we had boosted, because I have a background in marketing as well, and so I was familiar with how to use the Facebook advertising platform. 
once I started boosting posts on Gontrepreneur, just about the news, like, you know, this state is considering a legalization policy, we're going to boost this article, the response and the enthusiasm of the audience was kind of crazy. It just like broke the algorithm compared to any other uh, project that I had managed ads for. And so in the early days, we were able to make very selective investments into Facebook advertising to grow the audience. Of course, since then, any reference to cannabis or, or any you know mention of the plant on your website even um, will get your ad shut down. So it's not something that we can do anymore. But early on, I'd say that even leveraging the Facebook advertising platform was a great um, tool for, for expanding our reach and building our audience. Absolutely. And you guys have that respectable following on Facebook. We have a pretty solid following on Facebook. Most cannabis, you know, I always say cannabis has this really weird negative relationship fascination with Instagram. Like all cannabis loves Instagram and Instagram fucking hates cannabis. But mm -hmm. for, for folks like ourselves who were doing this kind of before Instagram was the, the king of social media, right? Facebook obviously held that title and it was just kind of a different beast. And even to today for us, you know, my, my take on it is like Facebook is really great. It's great for news because not only can you share stories and headlines, but there's actually quite a bit of click through to websites. Obviously you have like the AMP optimized page. You can open up the page within the app yep. without going out that you're not afforded that same interaction with Instagram per se. Um, and, and something I've noticed as Instagrams became more popular, like even in the in the, our music section is like we used to write about artists. They'd share the article. We'd get a bunch of traffic for it. Now we write about artists and they'll screenshot photos of the article and then they'll post that on their Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> and so people read the article swiping through and they we never get the web traffic. And I mean, it's, yeah. it's fine at the end of the day, but it's been this weird. Like, as long as they tag shit. you in the caption, you know, that's it is what it is. Yeah, and so there's no link in bio. There's no force to our website where we can, you know, monetize their mm -hmm. traffic for for pennies on the on the thousands of visitors. But um, you know, it's just this interesting cultural shift. Has there been things like that you've noticed, or ways you guys have kind of had to adapt the way like culture and and media consumption has kind of shifted just even over the last like half decade, decade? Absolutely. Yeah. There's there's been a lot of different trends um, that we've noticed, and we've tried to you know, ride the wave of as we see them happening on social media platforms, Instagram being a great example. And, um, you know, to, to a certain extent, Facebook as well with those like news summary videos that was about, you know, five, eight years ago, um, a bunch of big platforms like that um, emerged and then they all kind of took over all the engagement with just these like summary news videos. We experimented with that a bit. I'd say the equivalent now is with reels on Instagram. Um, it seems that the um, the the format via which you post dictates some of the engagement that the platform is willing to expose you to. So um, we we always have to be paying attention to um, the ways that we're sharing our content and how it's presented. Um, but also, once we get into a uh, into a, an established pattern, once we have a a workflow set up, um, it's very optimized, I would say, for day-to-day for -day management. We have a simple formula for our posts and we do experiment and, and try new things every once in a while, but for the most part, our workflow is set and our team is able to crank them out on a daily basis, um, quickly keep up with the, uh, the pace of all the news that comes flooding through. And, and on that subject, you guys' team, have you, have you guys been remote kind of the whole, the whole time? Yeah, we have been. 
Um, so when my brother and I started the, the website, originally, um, you know, we lived in separate cities. It was all done through the internet. As we started to grow the team, um, it was all, you know, done through hiring via our email newsletter, basically people who were subscribers, we'd post a job opening. Um, and so as we've hired new people, we've had to register our business in different states. I've had to get familiar with running payroll through digital platforms that make that easier than, um, you know, trying to, to run it all manually. Um, there's all of these different digital tools that we use to maintain a purely remote existence as a business. Um, and it's something that, you know, we've, we've, I've really been a fan of since the first day. Um, honestly, one of the driving factors for me to pursue uh, self-employment was the fact that I didn't want to sit around in an office for eight hours a day. Um, not that I hated my coworkers or anything. It's just didn't feel like a productive way to spend my time. Um, if I was going to be productive, I felt like I was usually more so when I wasn't surrounded by people chatting or interrupted by people stopping by just to talk about what they did over the weekend or whatever. I'm very much a uh, person who wants to focus on whatever I'm doing and not be interrupted. So going for a business structure that was entirely you know, remote was definitely the goal from the start. And um, it's definitely been a learning process. We haven't always made the right decisions about, you know, what what platform to try using or or um, you know how the workflow should work. But once we dial it in, it seems like it really has just hummed um, very e efficiently and effectively. And it seems like compared to other places that I've worked in the past, the amount of opportunity for there to be any kind of workplace drama is just like completely eliminated because everybody's at home. They're just on their computers, they do their work and then they're done. Hey, you, you don't, you don't got to get to know someone enough to not like them, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we do get to know each other. Um, but luckily we're very um, thorough with our vetting when we hire people and, and we all, uh, we all get along just great. Nah, nah, I love that. Yeah, we've we've been remote since before COVID, so that was you know COVID. We were we were we were ready for, for that you know from that perspective, um, and I think it makes sense. You know, in this day and age, like you know, especially as as content scaled, right? Like I'm sure you've hired people who are kind of experts regionally, or or their experience regionally adds to the value that they provide to the mm -hmm. platform. So not, you know, you can't necessarily have a platform covering the whole country centered in one area, right? Or I mean, you can, but it's it's a little bit. Right, know. it's harder. I mean, there are, um, you know, there are cannabis publications that have an office in one particular city where, you know, 95% of their team works. Um, but I think having people spread across the country has definitely benefited us because we have the ability to um, tap into networks that already exist in different places. And then also it expands our our talent pool. You know, if we're able to put the ad for this opportunity out there to anyone living in the US who wants to work at home and do something related to the cannabis industry, like there are a lot of people who find that appealing. And so um, we've been able to hone in on, on really good candidates um, that way.
I, what I love is having people on the East Coast, so that way by the time I wake up, shit's already getting That's done. a big part of it, too, yeah. I mean, there's kind of a race with the daily news cycle. A lot of the other publications are based on the East Coast or, or in the eastern part of the U.S., and, um, uh, you know, us being on the West Coast, it was definitely something we noticed at some point. Like, everyone else's newsletter is coming out three hours before ours. Mm -hmm. Let's hire someone on the East Coast to uh, get things started in the morning. Actually, one of our very first employees, uh, who's our podcast host, T.G. Brandfault, also one of our main journalists, um, he's been working with us, I would say, for about eight years now. And um, he was in Michigan when we hired him, but now he lives in New York. And so a lot of the, uh, the editorial work for the day happens early in the morning. By the time we wake up on the West Coast, it's like time to review and get ready to publish everything. Mm. Mm, yeah, that's that, that's that superpower, man. You know, one of the conversations we've had in the past, right, has been centered around kind of media and their relationships with PR. So I want to I want to dig in on just the conversation sure. of public relations for a little bit. Obviously, it's a big part of media, cannabis or not, right? Public relations is how you know companies usually have internal and or hire outsource um, work to just get the message out about their brand to communicate with publishers um you know me personally i have like a love-hate relationship with that and have had that before cannabis even you know dating back to when we were just doing music stuff i had a, a love-hate relationship like a lot of good people that kept us in the loop provided us with great opportunity connected us with good opportunities and good stories a lot of people just knocking on my inbox non-stop really filling it right. up with uh, <laughs> stuff that i'm not interested in um yep. Um, but I'm just kind of curious, just your general take, right? Like on the current landscape, like, you know, there's been a conversation of, of a news story that broke yesterday with the Circle K gas stations and a lot of things around the headlines being somewhat accurate, inaccurate. And a lot of the blame went back to to PR trying to spin the story in a way that got picked up in clicks and interest, but not, not, might not be the most truthful. So I'm just kind of curious, you know, just, just your your current perception of just public relations and its place in the cannabis industry or in cannabis media right now. Absolutely. Well, yeah, you know, as we've talked about before, there's, there's definitely a, um, a prevalence of public relations when it comes to cannabis brands that are, you know, trying to make a name for themselves. Um, a lot of them are brands that can afford to work with PR agencies. That's kind of a prerequisite. PR doesn't tend to be cheap. There's certainly exceptions where, you know, you can have a good public relations member of your team who's who's doing an excellent job. But when, when I say PR, you know, I'm, I'm generally talking about the agencies that are third party um, platforms. And it's not cheap to hire um, a PR agency on behalf of your business. Um, and like like you said, when when PR agents are sending publishers a stream of pitches on a daily basis, um, for small publishers, I think it can be frustrating because they're usually not tailored to the publication specifically. It's just kind of like, you write about cannabis, you must be interested in this cannabis-related story. Whereas, you know, you have a very specific niche around cannabis and we have a very specific niche around cannabis. And I'm sure, you know, both of us have experienced plenty of pitches that are just obviously not a good fit for our publication. And while it's not like, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world to get a bunch of emails, it definitely is draining at times. And it feels like people just are expecting favors from you, you know, just because. Um, and it occasionally there are there are pitches that are 
very well thought out that are very like specifically tailored to the publication. And those are the ones that I'd say can lead to positive relationships and like actually generate content. But the vast majority of the um, announcements that we receive are like this company hired this executive from, you know, this mainstream tech platform. And it's just like, well, we're, we're primarily focused on policy. So um, we're going to have to pass on this just for future reference. But then the next day they send us the same, you know, the same concept. Um, and I, I guess uh, as a small publisher, it's just, um, it's, it's hard to stay in business. First of all, it's hard to make money as a publisher. Um, I don't know for people who aren't in publishing that may or may not be news, but publishing as a business is definitely difficult. Um, advertising sales as a business model can be very tricky and you have to try really hard to deliver value. If you're going through some kind of third party platform like Google ads or something like that, um, first of all, they might not even accept a cannabis publication. Um, second mm -hmm. of all, they're only going to give you pennies on the thousands of visits that you get, even though, you know, for a particular advertiser to reach that specific segment of people who are avid cannabis consumers or, or who have careers in the industry, it's going to be a lot more valuable than a general Google audience. So, you know, it's, uh, there are a lot of obstacles to, uh, building a successful publishing business and, um, I guess the thing that I would say for, for brands who are working with PR or brands who are considering working with PR is that uh, you should think of a PR agency's ability to generate hype for your business more in the world of mainstream media um, or publications that you know have a mainstream following where cannabis isn't their main focus because they're the ones who are going to most appreciate having you know a story kind of pre-formatted for them and presented um, Whereas journalists and, and uh, publishers who focus on the cannabis industry, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis are going to be more interested in the really outstanding, unique, you know, stories and not so much the like, this company's hiring this person to be their executive. Um, and uh, I guess uh, also just to not be uh, afraid of reaching out to publications directly, like there are ways um, of getting your brand out there through a publication that's small and independent. Um, and it doesn't have to be like a, a full on sponsored article. It could be simply something as like, uh, something as simple as, um, reposting social media content or distributing your announcement or resharing your announcement or something like that. You know, I don't, I don't know, uh, you know, if I'm just speaking for myself, but I would say small publishers tend to be flexible with how they, uh, approach partnerships and relationships just because it is difficult to uh, to monetize a publishing business. And obviously we have to balance the uh, trust with our audience with the um, ability to uh, to work with with advertisers. but um, you know I, I would say don't be afraid to uh, to reach out to publishers directly and don't assume that having a PR agency is going to get you, coverage in independent cannabis publications. Absolutely. I mean, I, I associate with so much of that. And, and one of the things that I've always felt funny about and we, we spoke about is like, you know, there's companies out there that would not buy an advertisement on our website. Either one of our websites would not pay money for that. You know what I mean? Would somehow in their mind think that's not valuable for me. I'm not going to pay for that, but they will pay far more money to a PR agency and put our website towards the top of their list of getting on 
mm-hmm. they are paying to get on our platform, but not paying us. And it's They're not even, in, in that conference, not even necessarily an order of magnitude media. more than they would. Yeah. But it is, it is, I want presence on your platform and your audience, and I'm willing to pay for it, but I am not willing to put money in your pocket. Right. I'll put it in someone else's pocket. And I just think that concept is like crazy. It's crazy to me. I, I don't understand it. And I mean, it, it definitely stems from the the taboo around uh, relationships between publishers and advertisers and the creation of content and all of that. And it's definitely an ethical, um, you know, navigation that you have to make as a publisher. And it's not, you know, something where I would say anybody can just approach us and work with us. We're going to do our investigative legwork and make sure that you know, writing about this company is something that would A, be interesting to our audience, and then B, that we actually feel like they're doing something good for the industry. Um, but if those two boxes are checked, then it's like, well, let's figure out what we can do. Yeah, and and that's it. at the end of the day, right? Like we have we have taken money for, for content, right? Like I always be transparent around that. And, and it's not always, and sometimes it's sponsored. Sometimes it's, a client that we work with on our agency, but through that agency work, we uncover some story, you know, while we're touring to grow and we hear some story and we're like, holy shit, this is a great story. And then we end up covering someone that's paying us. They're not paying us for that coverage, but you know, we right. would have never uncovered that story if we didn't have the rapport and the right. relationship. Right. It's a it's a foot in the door. It's a way to establish a relationship, having some kind of a of a sponsorship or an advertisement in a small publication generally is going to be a very small fraction of what you would pay a PR agency, but it gets you that conversation that could then lead to uh, you know, having the opportunity to really pitch your story. Yeah. And it, it's, and it's, it's, I don't know, that's everything is relationships and something, you know, even myself, I put a lot of money into maybe not directly into someone's hands, but there's a whole reason, you know, you pay money for a plane ticket and a hotel and a pass to an event, you pay money to build relationships. Sure. You might not be putting money in individual people's pockets, but you have to invest to, you know, to, to mm-hmm. make things happen, to find that right timing, to find that right relationship. Um, and, and I like what you said. It is definitely this unique ethical balance of, you know, how do we, how do we monetize what we do, but how do we re- be authentic or organic or true to who we are, our, our audience and our voice. And there's a lot of stuff in cannabis that's accused for play to play, not just in cannabis and media in general, pay, pay for play, right? Like whether it's, you know, Rolling Stones, like cultural counselor, it's Forbes, and I'm not shitting on or using them as negative examples, but oh, those yeah. are things that have been accused of, you know, pay for play. Yeah, New York Times, they have a content division. They've got like a content agency and they're sponsored content on New York Times. You know, it's, it's a, it's, yeah, it's, it's an ethical uh, balance that you have to strike and you have to have nuance with how you approach it and you have to have um, discretion and be able to say no to people. Um, but when you find people who are a good fit and who you know want to have some kind of uh, representation of their brand that's different than a an advertisement, um, I wouldn't fault publishers for coming up with ways to accommodate that as long as it's done in a framework that, uh, like you said, is is considerate of the bigger mission of what you're doing and um, considerate of the audience. Yeah, we we definitely, man. We've had clients in the past that you know we done we've done some work for them, whether it's through uh, through content we've created for them that ends up making its way onto our site, or just in general for them, and then uncovering something down the line that you never know that someone's not who they say they are, or 
someone has a past that you cannot stand behind that obviously they're not being upfront and telling people and having to scrub all that content, give them their money back because I'm not in the a business of taking money from people like you and still paying the staff for all the execution of said content. And at the end of the day, losing money to cut the ties. And um, so that's why I always find it funny. You know, I, no one's really accused us of that in music. Some people have said some things like, Oh, this pay. And I'm like, bro, we've, trust me, we've lost more money on <laughs> content like in that regard than we've ever made. So if it was all about making money, uh, there'd still be a lot of articles still on our site and uh, right. shouldn't, shouldn't be there. Um, what what is like what is it for you that just obviously like you guys have you know policy something you focus on and you have you know a set kind of parameters of the content that's ideal content to you what in that kind of attracts you to a story like what are the aspects to a story that that attract you to want to pick it up to want to highlight it is it you know obviously we have to weigh in at the end of the day we have to weigh in on traffic right it's not in i always tell people it's not a skeezy way but we have to weigh in like whether this is going to be a search search term we can win or this is going to win on social media or they have a following and the co-branded share right we have to take into account at least some of the content we do the aspect of gaining traffic but then there also is that these are some things that we really want to discuss that we really think is valuable these are things that we want to get behind and support and who gives a shit how many people read it. I just want the feel good inside of supporting this cause. But what, what are some of those aspects of like why you choose to talk about certain certain stories? Well, yeah, so there's a lot of different variables that go into the selection of uh, topics to cover. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll just say right now that I'm generally not the one who chooses what we cover on a day-to-day -day basis. Sometimes I'm the one who makes the call if there's a question, you know, or there's a disagreement among people on the team or just uncertainty around whether or not this is something that fits with what we're trying to do. Um, sometimes I'll weigh in on that. But for the most part, I let our editor, my brother, as well as our other writers, um, just kind of debate that and come up with their own their own solution as far as what to cover on a day-to-day -day basis. That said, as far as what we would cover generally, um, we definitely lean towards policy coverage. Um, we do business coverage on a regular basis, but honestly, it's usually when things go wrong. And um, that's partly because on a, on a regular basis, we survey our audience about what they're interested in reading. We send out surveys via our newsletter, we get responses back, and we digest that information and process. And we directly ask people, you know, of this list of types of content or topics, what do you, what are you most interested in? And then based on the data that we get, that is another factor that we use to decide what to write about. And in general, people in our audience have said that they don't want profiles of big, you know, publicly traded MSOs and, and big brands, they are interested in profiles of small to mid-sized brands who are kind of embodying the dream of cannabis legalization as, as many of the people who are participating in it view it as this opportunity for kind of an economic empowerment um, revolution of an industry, basically. It's, it's, it's a really unique space. And I think that, um, you know, to treat it like any other business media landscape would be a flaw or, a, um, you know, a, a mistake. Um, so for the most part, it's policy coverage. And we tend to focus on things like markets that are coming online or, um, you know, developments at the federal level. 
Um, and then sometimes if there's, you know, an acquisition or a major conflict between businesses, we'll cover that, or if there's some kind of controversy. Um, and then um, we have a couple of series where we basically, uh, there, there's Q&A interviews that we do on a regular basis where we pick someone who's a, either a founder or an important uh, part of a team at a business um, that's doing something interesting and we'll do an interview. Sometimes we'll do a profile of the business itself and just talk about this interesting brand, tell their story, something unique about them. Um, uh, and then we also have a, an, a media analysis series that our podcast host and uh, main journalist, T.G. Brandfault, he basically comes from a media studies background. He's a professor at a college in New York also in his spare time. Um, and uh, his specialty is in media bias. That's what he studied. And so he kind of developed a framework for looking at mainstream coverage of cannabis news. Like if there's been a study or you know some kind of development in the world of science around cannabis, Obviously, people in the industry are familiar with the way that the mainstream media tends to cover that with a lot of scare tactics um, and uh, reefer madness stereotypes. Um, well, TG has a framework that he put together for pinpointing the examples of like clear bias within those pieces. And so whenever a story like that comes out, he'll write a follow-up piece analyzing it and say, this is all the, this is all the ways that this reporter could have been a little less biased with their coverage. Mm. Um, so there's there's a lot of different types of content that we're publishing on a, on a daily and weekly basis. But um, yeah, like I said, it, it tends to be on the uh, developments that are most impactful for people running businesses or starting businesses. Um, and then also just based on the feedback that we get from our audience. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Getting, getting the feedback. What, what do the people want? You, you got to feed them in and that's, that's how you build a nice, nice engaged following across all platforms what 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 are what are some of the projects you guys got or, or new things you got in the works for for the rest of this year and, and early next year yeah well um we're in the process of uh partnering with uh outlaw report which is another publication they focus on the east coast um primarily virginia dc maryland delaware area um They've got a, a really good platform and uh, audience, and we're partnering with them to kind of expand access for our advertisers and, and to help them run their advertising on their platform, basically. So we'll be able to run campaigns across both publications for anyone who's trying to build awareness for their brand in those regions. We have a new, um, a new asset that we can... Um, leverage on their behalf. And then also we'll be able to cross-populate audiences and um, and uh, help each other grow that way. Um, and, you know, I'm looking forward to uh, pursuing more collaborations with other publishers. Like over the past six months, I've talked to a handful of publishers, yourself included. And I think that uh, independent cannabis media platforms are going to be stronger if we all figure out ways of working together. Mm -hmm. So. Um, that's sort of been my focus lately, and uh, we are working on some things that aren't quite ready to announce yet, but uh, I'll definitely be in touch with you about when they are. Um, but kind of in that same vein of uh, creating relationships between publishers that can be beneficial to brands and advertisers, um, and then also to help, um, you know, just maintain awareness and relationships among the people who are building the industry from the grassroots. 
I love that man. You know, this is near and dear to my heart. Near and dear, to, near, near and dear to my heart. Uh, no, uh, I, I really appreciate you taking out the time and and hopping on on the podcast today. I think you and I could potentially talk about this type of stuff all day. So I, I don't want to <laughs> oh, yeah. cut you off, but you know, uh, we're, we're going to save some for the next time, man. For people out there that want more information, gondrepreneur.com. Anything else you want to plug before I get you up out of here, man? No, I'm good. I'm just happy to uh, have some rain in the Pacific Northwest. Absolutely, yeah. We we need it. Let's get these let's get these fires established and let's keep the only smoke coming out of the the end of a joint, man. You know That's what right. I'm saying? <laughs> awesome. Well, this is the North American Weed Tour podcast. We're gonna be. I think we're running back to back episodes today, so we might be back with more content. But we're looking at the best in legal cannabis. Stay tuned for more content. Thank you guys for tuning in.